Okay, welcome back to the Locker Room Podcast. Um, a very exciting uh, episode today for the first time, excluding myself. We have an all-female uh, lineup, so I'm sure there's going to be some very good uh, discussions coming out of this. Um, before I mention our, our guest, our fantastic guest we got on today, I want a big deputant to uh, Quiva, who's come in, who stepped in as a co-host this evening. And I've got to make sure I get all of her job roles right on the uh, on the introduction. So Quiva is, the, more importantly, the head of education at DSS, which is the, the, the main one, number one. Um, SSC coach, sports scientist at Basketball Island, uh, women's coordinator at Rugby Academy Island, and head rugby coach uh, for Mount Temple. Uh, Quiva, thank you very much for coming on. I know you've done a lot of work for the podcast in promoting them so it's, it's fantastic to get you on here yeah it's brilliant to see this side of it as well yeah delighted to be on perfect i don't want to embarrass you too much but you're you're big fans of our guest on today huh? so that's why we, we wanted to get you on yeah no absolutely i'm massive fan seeing everything on, on twitter and all the blogs and everything so delighted to be on be, be good chat Fantastic. And then without any further ado and introductions, we've got Erica Suter. And correct me if I'm wrong, you can go through your history in a minute, but SNC coach specialising within youth female athletes. Um, and obviously with the business and the blog writing, you're very famous for. And we've also got Evie Casagrande, who is uh, SNC coach lead at Orlando Pride. Um, so ladies, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. Don't worry about if there's any cross interference and you try and talk. It's all part of the of having two guests on, but thank you so much. Perfect. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for thanks for, the, thanks for inviting us. It's it's no. an honor to, to be in the same room with the three of you. Um, which I I love the, the collaboration that we've been we've been doing and, and learning from each other. So perfect. Thanks, Evie. And Erica, welcome on. Welcome. Thanks for giving up your time. Yeah, I was uh, really excited for this, and I'm I'm on board with Ivy. It's just nice to be on a podcast with her again, and of course, you guys have been following Julie Sports Science for a while, and you know I'm in the trenches of being in the gym, so it's nice to get different perspectives from outside of what I'm doing. So I'm I'm appreciative and excited for the conversation. Perfect. Thank you very much. So I think we'll we'll just before we jump straight in, a bit a bit of a special mention to our sponsors who have extended their sponsorship of the podcast, which is www.rit all capital letters rypt.app, um, an online platform that we're using quite a lot of DSS. Quiva, do you want to just talk a little bit about what we're doing at DSS and how how RIPs are helping us? Yeah, so it's uh, myself and Ben, who's sports scientist with DSS and obviously who I've replaced today. But uh basically we're offering two sort of um Two, two sort of services. So one is personal training and then the other is strength conditioning. So one is just the first is just for if you're looking for general fitness improvement or if you're non-sports related. Uh, the second then obviously if you're involved in a sport and you're looking for sports specific improvements. So um, yeah, really enjoying using RIP. So it's a brilliant service for myself and Ben to use. It's on, on, online. We can go on create a workout there's a, a library full of exercise videos and everything so you literally just have to type in what the exercise is a bunch of different videos will come up you can put in your uh, training tips your timing your tempo your reps um, and then for the actual athlete it comes up in a, a really nice easy to use mobile app um, where it's just very simple they see what their rep sets rest for each exercise is run through it they can log um, their their wellness and everything so uh, really enjoying using that for the moment myself and Ben obviously fine with a hope and hoping to get a few more people on too. Fantastic. Thanks, Quiva. And if anyone wants to go over and, and have a look at RIP, there's two months free at the moment um, over on Daily Sports Science website. It's a great platform for any coach, SSC coach, sports scientist looking to program remotely, which is quite topical now. Um, okay, let's jump straight in. So um, again, thank you so much for your time, ladies. Maybe we'll start with you, Erica, and just give us a little bit of an overview of, of 
where you got to where you got to and what you're currently doing in your role now. Sure. So I've been um, working with youth um, on the performance side for almost nine years now. And um, I played soccer since I was six, went through the whole system, travel soccer, played, played at Johns Hopkins University in college, and then uh, played a little bit abroad in Brazil. Um, shout out, Ivy. Um, love that country. I lived there for a year um, and coached and, and trained down there. And uh, when I came back, I decided to go all in with coaching youth because I had so much fun working with the kids in Brazil. Um, so wanted to continue to give back to the game and um, develop youth athletes physically and also mentally and emotionally. So I started 2012 with just training one kid. Um, I forget how I got signed up with this athlete, um, middle school girl, uh, remember it like it was yesterday. and. Just from there, it, it kind of grew uh, through word of mouth. And now I'm, I'm working with teams um, in the Baltimore, Maryland area, um, abroad, um, across the United States online. But um, I would say I'm 95% in person here in Baltimore, um, just mainly doing small group training. Um, and my main population is with middle school and high school female soccer players. Perfect. Thanks very much, Erica. And same for you, Evie, just where you are at the moment and, and how you got to where you got to. Yeah, so I, uh, like Erica, I started uh, playing soccer. I actually played professionally in Brazil first and then uh, got the chance to come to the U.S. in 2010 uh, with a soccer scholarship. Played for Bowling Green State University. Um, I was a pre-med at, at the time and I wanted to go to med school. Uh, I wanted to go professional in Europe after I was done with my bachelor's too. Uh, but things got a little bit um, different route. Um, I got a sports agent that stole my money and ran away, uh, and I, my visa was about to expire here. So I just had to make the decision that I and realize that I couldn't afford med school by myself here, uh, being an international. Um, so that's when I got an invitation to apply for a master's program in my. Uh, and Bowling Green State University, where I graduated with uh, exercise physiology. Um, so I went there I, and just fell in love with uh, exercise physiology and sports science. Uh, so I started there two years during my master's. That's when I learned the most because of my uh, being able to apply in the practical world. Uh, I was the sports performance coach volunteer for the, the, the team that I played for, Bowling Green. And then during my master's, I was able to do uh, internships. I, I did an internship with Exos and I did a professional development trip in Europe. That's when everything kind of opened up. And, um, and then I, I went to Michigan for a year and a half to be the director of sports performance for youth. Uh, again, fell in love with youth because it's going to Arsenal and spending 15 days there doing a mentorship with Zest and, and Potty and fell in love with how they do stuff there with their athletic development program. Um, so I was able to do that and develop my own coaching philosophy with Redline. Um, and then I started also doing work with U.S. youth national teams, uh, currently still do. Um, and then came to Orlando last year. So second season in Orlando, been, it's been quite a ride, it's been great so far. So. Perfect. Thank you very much. And I'm going to jump the gun a little bit. I had this question for a long, for later on in the podcast, but it's come, come up in terms of your histories. We'll go to Erica first. The big thing around SNC and sports scientists, I feel, is that 
is there an advantage for those that have played the game and then are working in that sport? Some part of me thinks there could be, but then there's other, you know, obviously personal skills. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think you've got an advantage or you're ahead of where you could be maybe because you've got a good background in playing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think having um, a long-term background in playing, um, especially as far as understanding what it takes to develop for the long haul. Um, I mean, I started doing strength and conditioning when I was in the sixth grade. So very early on, I understood what it took to be able to withstand the demands of the game and, and to thrive and to be able to adapt to new challenges and to be able to develop my speed, develop my strength, um, not get ACL tears, not get injured. So having that playing background and just understanding the work that it takes and the, the process that it takes um, to go through all of those years of development has been critical. Um, especially nowadays, I, I work with a lot of kids who, whose parents think this is some, some quick thing, um, <laughs> that this is going to all happen overnight um, when they don't realize that, you know, just getting through the growth spurt is a process. Uh, even just getting through that is going to improve speed or help with their soccer skills. Um, so that was instilled in me all throughout my career and just uh, good old fashioned hard work. And I've definitely permeated that philosophy into what I'm preaching with young athletes. Um, and then as far as just tactical IQ, just being able to speak a coach's language and telling them why like what we're doing in the gym is going to help in maybe like a 1v1 situation or make their make them be able to play an attacking formation or uh, being able to um, get back on defense so just being able to speak their language and simplify physical training um, in application to tactical training so it's it's definitely helped a lot. Perfect. And just while we've got you there and you touched on, on kind of the growth spurt stuff, can you give some views around or your views around long-term athletic development and some key kind of, let's say, philosophical um, points that you consider going through different stages and, and maybe just a bit around your coaching and as broad or as narrow as you, as you want to go on that, Erica? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's such a layered concept, long-term athletic development. But what I always come back to is just, and I'm sure Ivy would agree with me on this, is whatever age group it is, so if it's pre-adolescent, adolescent, always return to the basics. <laughs> um, and Ivy, I'm sure like even in the pros, you're, you're always reinforcing the basics year round, um, just because players, uh, whether it's youth or pro, they're undergoing so much duress during the season and in the youth game, it's, it's year round at this point. So these kids aren't really getting a break. So they're going to return back to faulty movement patterns or they're going to be fatigued. And I want to continue to reinforce the basics of, of coordination, um, trunk stability, especially for female athletes, um, balance, uh, single leg strength, um, posterior strength, uh, running technique, acceleration, and just making sure that they're really honing those motor skills. Um, and I always say to, to soccer coaches and even parents, like the physical side for long-term athletic development is the same as the technical piece. Like you don't just work on your scissors move, you know, one year and then you piece out and then you're, you're done with your scissors move. You keep refining it. You keep 
developing it. You do it faster. You do it under pressure. And it's just something that has to continue to be revisited, all sides of the game. And I, I find it interesting that people think physical training is different. So it's just, it's just that consistent process reminding kids of the basics and continuing to, to reinforce at every session you see them. Um, I see them at most two, three times a week. So if I get them for that limited time, we're always reviewing the basics, even if it's as simple as putting, putting it into our warm-up. Mm-hmm. That is great advice. And just a little bit there around the growth spurt then, is there anything that you've got um, that you do around that period? So depending on the, the person or the player, you know, how they're responding to their growth, is there anything you adapt in the program and what are the signs you look for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so typically um, I see several things. So I'd see um, uh, disrupted coordination. So if that means, um, doing more within their warm-up to to continue to work on that whether it's like different skipping crawling rolling patterns or even going as far as to give them something to do on their own at home if they're not seeing me as much Um, as far as growth injuries i see a lot of um, patella pain so that it's going to be a case-by-case basis but really reinforcing like quad strength through through isometrics i like to use isometric lunges um, just reinforcing the movement patterns hip strength but if it gets to a point where the the strength training isn't enough and they need to see a physical therapist i always recommend that they see one and we collaborate together on the program and um, especially as far as load monitoring i see a lot of girls trying to do too much during that period um, because they're practicing so much and playing so many games. So just really educating parents, uh, providing them with as many resources as possible beyond uh, just myself to to work around um, those growing pains uh, during that period. And just anecdotally, before I go to you, Evie, what percentage would you say of the, of the, the players you're training have disruptions through that period? Oh my gosh. I mean, I would say gosh, probably like 90% of them. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I, and I think it's more so now than uh, when I started eight and a half years ago, just because like the, the decline in, in movement in youth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, kids are just really struggling with um, having body awareness, um, having spatial awareness, being coordinated, balancing, um, having total body strength. Um, you don't see kids, you know, getting outside and, and climbing trees as much or playing tackle football with the neighbors. So I think it, a piece of it has to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say it's more so now than when I started out. So now my job is to just ensure they are educated and they have all the, the resources they need as far as what to expect during that time of growth. Perfect. And we can see a lot of the good stuff you're doing on Twitter for anyone that, that, that's listening here. Um, Evie, then going back to uh, the playing side, do you, th- do you think that's giving you a real advantage? And what do you think then the difference is between like a sports scientist, S&C coach who hasn't played the game at all and those and someone that has? Um, personally, I think my, my situation was a little bit different than Erica's because uh, in, in Brazil, I never did weightlifting before mm-hmm. coming to college. Uh, it was not something that we, it's not something that you do. Uh, now it's better, but now when 10 years ago, not something that they would do, especially with female athletes and, and, and the, the female sports, they didn't get that, those resources to us. Um, so I, I kind of learned um, how to 
like what to do based on what I didn't have. So for example, I had a really bad uh, back injury in my sophomore year lifting weights in, in college because I got there and they thought that I had a base and they didn't teach me the technique well. So I was like doing trap bar deadlifts with a lot of weight and there's that mental toughness that a lot of college uh, FC coaches get to you and like, yeah, come on, this is, this, is that all that you're, you're, you're getting to your plate? And um, so that being an international coming, already I was super skinny and, and weak and that was a little rough time where I, um, when I was done, I'm like, okay, I need to uh, learn the, the other side of this and, and how to better prepare myself. So it was, it was actually through my preparations to play pro in Europe during that time. I was uh, in a sports performance company in Brazil that I went back and did a lot of training and they kind of followed the X's methodology a little bit. So as soon as I started to kind of slow my movement down, learn the technique, being stronger and all that stuff, my, cha my game completely changed. I was feeling powerful on the field. I, I was, my back was not hurting anymore. Um, so it was really cool because I actually played uh, semi-pro uh, during my master's. So uh, about a year and a half, I, I played a, a summer semi-professional soccer. And, and at that time, I was already kind of going through my coaching philosophy and trying things out on me and, you know, the importance of recovery and the warm-up and stuff like that. So I really was able to feel it out, what, would, what was kind of going through a good uh, strength conditioning program. And, and um, so that kind of opened my eyes. And of course, the, the understanding of the game always helps. Um, it's never enough though. Like I still like in Orlando, I made the commitment to really stick to my head coach and assistant coach and learn the most of the technical side. Um, because I was a type of player that I was, you know, I, I was not that small. Like I was smart playing, but I didn't have that knowledge of the game that like I wanted to be, to have. So, so that, that those a year and a half in Orlando, I learned so much with the, the, the technical staff just to kind of collaborate and say, okay, how can we implement what you guys want in a formation in my warm up or in my um, movement skills and stuff like that. So that was, that, that's been a huge kind of, uh, path that I took and, and it, it's, it's been really good. Perfect and then just jumping back to the, the long-term athletic development stuff what are you looking for when you get athletes come to you at that uh, potentially they're the finished article even though they're not they're at the top end of the pyramid what are you looking yeah. for when someone gets passed to you? Yeah so I always I always tell people like you always imagine that professional players know everything in terms of movement and they're you know they move super well and it's completely the opposite I think I think it, a lot of the, the the professional players they develop the compensations uh, since such a uh, early age and a lot of them didn't have the coach that kind of uh, guided them through um, or even helped them throughout that so it's it's a it's a mix of of, of kind of groups you have the group that is like the rookies, which comes from the college system, which what I see the most during my evaluations, I do a lot of biomechanical evaluations and like analysis, video analysis, is that those players that come from the college system, a lot of them are super powerful, so strong and so powerful, but then they can't slow it down. 
and when you tell them to do like a unilateral hop a triple hop it just it blows your mind what like wow we we have to go back to you know 101 kind of movement um so but then you have the other players that kind of um develop those compensations they actually pre move pretty well maybe it's not the safest way to move and and it, it brings chronic issues so that's our kind of our our role is to see what is within their bandwidth of what normal is and what normal is or what's outside of that their normal bandwidth and and kind of know how to how to do that and separate groups into different priorities uh and i know my rookies are and the, the players that need the most and the basic the basic basic they are in one group in the gym so i can really focus on, on all of them um so so definitely is it, it it goes back to you know the youth i think that's it's it, for me i i do the basics like erica said i do the basics all the time and i always tell them you need to do the basics pretty well on before you go to more complex things so um and again, even the fun stuff that we always do, like in warm-ups and stuff, like everybody thinks, oh, they're professional. Like, why are you doing like fun stuff for them? They they should be like just pretty focused. And like, this is like you can do, you can balance things out, and uh, they love that. They literally, when I don't do anything fun in the warm-up with them, they get pissed, and they're like, okay, no games today. Are you just gonna go straight to the drill? I'm like, you know, so um definitely definitely there's a i always say to coaches like it, you need to really coach you first if you want to go to the professional because it's all about how to deal with those with those things so sure that's great stuff there if do you think that as an industry but i don't know the american system as well so maybe you've got more insight on this do you think that we've geared a bit towards chasing big numbers in the weights room and we've forgot a little bit about quality of movement about landing about deceleration and those kind of other side of things not that the lifting is important but do you mm -hmm. think we're too eager to go to the big numbers as, as an industry yeah i think in my opinion that's from my own experience what i think is we're getting so much better now but the football oriented the american football oriented culture of snc's are where it's just you know about how much weight they they're able to do and even that another thing that i think it would be better is to incorporate snc coach to field work too because what happens in the american system you have the snc coach that doesn't know what's going on normally what's what's happening on the field so you get those players from a field session and they have no communication what just happened if there's a return of play player they don't know anything what the return of play in the field is so it's it, i think there's a really big lack of communication between departments and the, the american system i think um once we start uh putting more coaches where they start watching practice and they start or even having a, somebody on the field communicating with the SNC coach in the gym saying, okay, this is exactly what the plan is. Uh, player so-and-so and so needs to, to be a little bit managed, all that stuff. Then you would get way less injuries because you know how to, how to manage them better and know when to push harder or when to kind of uh, manage them a little bit. And to come off 100%. That's one thing maybe of our system, because we're, we're prim primarily academies, so you would be on the pitch and in the gym and working with coaches. So maybe we, maybe it's slightly different over here, but it's huge. The integration's huge. Um, Quiva, I'm going to pass over to you. You're going to go through a section and, and cover a whole range of topics, I believe. 
Yeah, cool. So I'll start with a couple of questions for yourself, Evie, and then I'll, I'll jump over to Erica. So um, you might start and, and pull it back a little bit to your journey to where you are at the moment. So I think probably one of the wildest uh, stories I've heard <laughs> going from pro, <laughs> pro player in Brazil and then changing from pre-med, which is a, a massive course, into something else. So, um, And I think a, a hot topic at the moment seems to be what kind of qualities should people who want to be involved in pro sports have and um personally i think you know resilience and that kind of adaptability mm-hmm. is is massive i think you have to have that if you want to make it and i think you probably have that in buckets but is there anything in in your journey that you chatted through there is there any experiences that, that have helped you you know in your career decisions and 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 how to to navigate that world yeah i think the biggest thing for me is um since I came and I, you know, I left all my family at home and, and kind of going through all that stuff by myself, it was a really, really good experience to deal with my own stuff by myself, which sometimes is hard. Like even, um, it, it, my family was too far away to kind of help me deal. If I had an emotional breakdown, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to deal with it and I'll figure it out. Um, so I think based on the process, I mean, there's so, there's so many adversities that came into that uh, my journey in terms of like even the first week of when I came to the U.S., um, there's like a, a confusion with the NWSA, NCAA, uh, with um, with my grading system because they didn't have a lot of experience with having international students, so they didn't understand my GPA. Uh, so I I had to stay 20 days locked in my room uh, because I couldn't go to practice because they said that I had to appeal for the NCAA to, in order to even start practicing. And that was my first two weeks in, in, in America by myself. So all through that, um, a lot of times I, I always like, what should I do? Am I just going to give up and try different things? And I always kind of uh, decided to endure and like, you know, I'm going to prove myself that I'm going to go through it. And it happened in my professional career too. I mean, I, I'm 29. I almost had two burnouts already uh, with, with all that. And it's, it's just like, I think as coaches, we all know how, how stressful it is. And I think even in, in Orlando, I think my first year was emotionally, like I was a, a emotional wreck. Like it was just so hard. I was so hard on myself for being like dealing with so like many the best players in the world. And am I good enough for that? And uh, going through that mental thought and say, you know, maybe that's not for me. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll go and and go back to youth development and stuff. And so get get into that process that I, as a player, I'm like, no, I'm not going to give up and I'm going to give another year. I'm going to prove myself. And the the growth that I had from my first year to my second season, where I've I've been through everything with them, especially with the coronavirus and and kind of being the best that I could be for them and, and teaching like them teaching like some new resources and new stuff mental health stuff um, from my own experience because I needed so I'm trying to pass it on to the players um, because it's such a big thing so definitely I think the biggest thing is to kind of learn and and know that is a it's a big process and you just got to be patient and keep keep grinding and something will the things will get better eventually so yeah it's so steady and I think like you're alluding to sort of say your experience as a, an athlete and being able to just to push through the hard trainings and push through difficult yep. weeks is really, really transferred over well to your, your career. And um, 
I think Definitely. when you're, you're speaking of burnout as well, and I saw Eric and nodding along, and I think I've I've been through it myself as well, and um, it, it's mm-hmm. a, a massive issue. And I think you know that we we all get into the habit of trying not to have gaps in our coaching CV and everything, and that kind of process of learning to say no. And um, it, it would be great to see more work done for younger coaches there to sort coaches, of yeah. and and everything that you're speaking about there that you know someone there to give that advice to say you know, these are kind of strategies you need to implement and this is what you need to, to keep an eye out for. I think that's excellent. Exactly. Yeah. I think that we, we talked too much about uh, the player aspect and forgot about the mental health of coaches. And I think there's not a lot of resources for that. Um, and I think that's definitely something that n- needs more attention. Uh, I, I know I've, me and Erica, we've always been talking about this, uh, the mental health and how that it's so important in our own process. So yeah Eric if you've anything to add to that you can work away yeah I think um I I'm totally in agreement with Ivy I mean it's we're natural like healers and givers as coaches um because we realize this is this is the human business and and we're caring for humans and um I've absolutely questioned myself as a coach all all the time every week I'd say um and it's because as far as the youth, it's like, I feel like I'm a mother to like a hundred (laughs) kids. So naturally I'm going to, you know, want the best for them. I want them to stay healthy. I want them to succeed. I want them to do well um, on the field, but also off. And when something goes wrong, whether someone like tweaks an ankle or, you know, fails a test in school, like I like feel that myself. I'm like, okay, like what, what could I have done better here? How could I have monitored load better? Or I sometimes tend to put it on myself, which it, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, as far, I mean, I tried to see it as, as a blessing more so because it, it means I'm trying to solve the puzzle. Like Ivy's always said, the puzzle of athlete development. Like I feel if we didn't question ourselves and we did what we did eight, 10 years ago, we, we wouldn't be growing. We wouldn't be serving our athletes. We wouldn't be staying up to date. So I think it, it's good to just keep growing, keep asking questions. And um, I mean, we we always preach adaptation and progress to our players. And I think it's okay for us to preach that to ourselves. Like we're always improving and um, that that's how I see, see my career. Um, And I, I try to teach that to my athletes um, off the field as well. Um, We, we take inventory a lot um, because I, I do it in my own life and I want them to, to learn how to check in with themselves. Where can they fill the buckets? Are they sleeping well? Are they nourishing their bodies? Are they hydrating? Are they on social media too much? Like we have so many categories going, um, relationships, friendships, school, like we literally are like ranking everything. <laughs> and I always tell them like, not every category is going to be perfect, but as long as like there's a, a, a small improvement each week, you're on the right track. Okay. So if I see you a week from now, I expect you to be a different, a different person, just a little bit, um, not perfect, but there needs to be some sort of improvement. And I think that's just, that's just the key. Just remembering that none of this is a perfect journey, coaching career and athletic development. Um, and just continuing to, to check in with yourself. And as long as you're improving, then I'd say you're on the right track. <laughs> no, that's excellent. I think it, a lot of it is is almost taking your own advice um, as a coach that if 
if you saw one of your athletes was, you know, really down or exhausted, you know, what would you say to them? And kind of taking that advice on yourself and it, it sparked a memory of, um, I had a chat with a coach who was quite down on themselves because something went, went wrong. And the question was, what did them well? If you had an athlete on the pitch, you made a mistake on the pitch, would you be giving out to them? Or would you say, look, mistakes happen, let's move on. And I think that's good advice that we had to take on as well, that as you're saying, it's all about ad- adaptation and growing and learning as you move through. Yeah, uh, I'd add, um, especially with youth, it's what I've just noticed over the years is kids are kind of becoming less self-aware. Um, whether that's from um, being entranced by social media or distractions in the world and they're not really like looking inside themselves okay look what can I improve what am I capable of like what can I do each day to be better so just really teaching them self-awareness taking inventory and and thinking for themselves excellent excellent. okay uh, move on to another question then for yourself again Evie so um, I think one of my favorite things as as Ross mentioned at the at the start is all of the the, the tweets and the videos you guys the pair of you are putting up on Twitter recently but um, Evie, every time I see a, a video from training with the Orlando Pride women, the thing that sticks out for me is they just seem to be having so much fun, so much crack so um, I know you've got a background in, in coaching kids and that, that one element is obviously important for coaching kids but um, why is that so important for you for senior women and then how do you actually implement that into your training? Yeah, so I mean, I think Erica knows how much we have to be creative, and you guys know that when you deal with youth, you have to be creative every day. And I, I kind of my, I actually even like get bad anxiety for before my warm ups because I'm like I need to, I need to make this like the best warm up ever. Like I want my players to be really like okay, I I love this, um, and I think that constant like pushing myself to to sometimes the anxiety is like actually good because I'm always like okay I need to do the best one now is it now how can I change that a little bit to so they don't get bored I mean I think the, the worst thing that you can you can feel is like when you're doing a warm-up you just like you see that then just going with the flow like just going through the, the motions and it's like no let's get you know the purpose of the warm-up is getting them ready physically ready once we get through that uh now can we put something in between that's going to be a little bit boring but we need to do that so maybe a lateral uh work or deceleration work and then and then they're like okay they're about to get bored but don't worry guys i'm i have something coming and you're gonna be happy okay so that's what what i normally do and it's just a fun process it's it's for me it's so the important thing is get them uh sharp like really sharp to get to the first drill and I think when your warm-up is kind of you go through the motions and you, you just don't make them think and make them you know then the first drill I always there's always feedback that the first drill they're never that good if the warm-up is not good um so I take that personally and I'm like okay so let's get this uh so that's what I normally do with them every every day I try to get something different bend the rules a little bit uh and, and it's just funny. I mean, I, I remember in, during uh, our return from uh, lockdown, uh, Sid always, Sid Nilero, she's always like making fun. She, she hates the world's greatest stretch and she hates doing inchworms. 
So she got into one day and we're like about to get a warm up done. I, I, I actually have the footage of this. Um, and I'm like, okay guys, do uh, Sid's favorite world's greatest inch warm. And then she's like, come on, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. I just don't. And then I'm like, okay, so let's do marching with skips. And she's like, no, I don't, I don't feel it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a lap. You guys do the warm up. So I left and I, I just like start doing three laps and say, you guys figure it out the word. Just like fun. Just to, like, uh, and they're like all laughing. I'm like, okay, you come back. It's just, uh, we don't, we don't know what to do anymore. So just that process of like, you know, making it fun and making it enjoyable. But it's not something that is like, okay, warm up, let's get warm up. I'm not one more warm up. So, um, and then the creativity comes from definitely my training with the youth and how they challenge me to be better uh, every day and, 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 and bring different rules. And with the professional, the only thing is they're pretty smart and they're, you can't, you can't like sometimes, I mean, not that kids are not smart, but it's just they're like how, how to, to know, to get those rules and, and cheat they cheat all the time so if you're not smart on your rules you're it, it, they're just gonna eat you alive <laughs> i learned that in the worst the worst form so um so yeah so that's i mean it's 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 very cool and and i try to meet them halfway i always ask for feedback from the players i mean what what it, what can can i do better and you know oh can we get the ball a little bit more yeah sure so let's do a little the first session the first session of that drill we do what I want you guys to do, maybe movement skills, and then at the end you receive a ball and you do uh, whatever and, and bring a competition. And the players, like, they, they ask for it. Like, even, like, I remember telling one day, she's like, Evia, we need something fun today because we're just, we're just tired and we're just fatigued. We need to get, get ready for this session. So they, they, they like that because they feel like, okay, I'm good to go. I'm sharp. I'm ready to go. Um, so it's, a, it's definitely cool. But it gives me anxiety every day. It's like, okay, pressure's on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great though. Cause I, like you obviously have great um, athlete buy-in then because the amount of, of videos that I see that, you know, there's, there's players diving on the line to try and beat their opponent and everything, which is massive. And Oh, it gets dirty. It gets dirty. <laughs> it gets... Sometimes you know, I have to cut down like, okay, let's go. Go, go to your first drill. And I have to cut the drill because they, they get so competitive. I'm like, okay, guys, stop. Um, yeah, so on the topic then of kind of working with, with the youths, Erica, we'll come, come to yourself. So um, obviously, you know, you're very passionate around that PHV and LTID and everything. And you work with a lot of athletes who are around that, that kind of area. So um, maybe you could just chat us through what your priorities would be for coaching kids going through that PHV uh, window. And have you any practical examples then of, of what you do in your training to, to help them through that? Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I just want to mention, like, as far as what Ivy was saying, the the number one priority for youth every session is is fun. Um, and I'm, I'm just seeing like a lot of um, just not as much encouragement in the youth game, like taking risks or, um, you know, a lot of like the technical drills are extremely rehearsed. Um, I've been very outspoken about this with, as far as like what you see on Instagram with skills training. Um, so like the more... I can give them fun and give them that spontaneity and allow them to express themselves in a creative way, the better. Um, just because, I mean, soccer is the ultimate creative expression and 
players are making decisions in split seconds in different environments, different scenarios to different stimuli. So the, the fun games, like not only are they are, they're fun, but they're really cultivating an environment where kids can feel they can express themselves and, and be creative. Um, now, as far as just um, going through PHV and, and the growth spurt, again, I just, I try to stick to basics as much as possible and tell, like, it's, it's really all about education um, with the, the coaches as far as monitoring load and, and not putting um, maturing girls through heavy plyometric drills or just high volume plyos or making them run on stadium steps. I see that a lot. So just informing coaches why that's, that's not good during that period. And, and we need to, to work on things like hamstring strength, um, quad activation, glutes, um, total body posture, core stability, um, so that their, their knees are healthier, they're more stable. Um, so that, that's how I, I navigate that. Um, and then even just after PHB, um, sometimes um, weight goes up. So there's a lot of gain in, in fat and girls um, tend to wonder what's going on or parents are like, why are they slowing down? Um, why is their performance waning? And I have to educate around that as well. Um, as far as like the training, I don't, I don't really change it too much. I, again, I just try to hammer the basics as possible because if I can't have people stick to that, then I can't progress to, to more advanced work. Um, and usually the, the solution to disrupted coordination, um, disrupted speed is just coming back to teaching them technique, jumping, landing, accelerating the, their arm action and, and all the motor skills they need during that time period. Deadly. And I think you can see from the videos you, you would post, um, that those kind of, you know, the isometric movements or, or the movements where it's challenging their own awareness of what position they're in, you know, what position are their knees, their feet and everything in. And um, I think it's something that you use amongst all genders, all ages, um, which obviously it's, it's an important thing at that, that window of PHB as well, but it, it seems to be something that's massively important to you, no matter what age, what, what gender they are as well. Yeah, I've been um, exploring isometrics a lot more, um, especially in, in the form of a lunge or an isometric single like deadlift. And um, yeah, I like it because they can they can really feel the position. But when we start to hold for a lot longer, we work on breathing. Um, so internally, they're extremely stressed out and it's painful. But when I get them back to diaphragmatic breathing and focusing on their breath, they're like, oh, wait, like if I'm feeling under duress, I can like come back to that to calm my nervous system down. And I, I tell, I try to teach that lesson through isometrics that maybe they're recovering from a sprint in the game or a tough conditioning drill, like come back to your breath, get oxygen back into your body, calm your nervous system. So that's, that's part of the reasoning why, um, I've started to include more isometrics um, for that, that nervous system response. Excellent, excellent. Um, and then why chat about sort of the blogs and the articles that, that you post as well. And, and it's very clear to see because you, you often write open articles to, you know, youth, youth sports or parents or coaches and everything and how, you know, you're, you're very passionate about what sport does for a person's confidence and their self-efficacy and so on. And then um also you know making both parents and players aware that it's not 
the be all end all that if if you don't make it in make it as a, a pro soccer player it's not the end of your world either that there's different priorities there so what what is the motivation behind that being so so important for you mm-hmm. oh uh, gosh a couple of reasons so i think um you know i have my own biases but growing up like i just love the game so much um i felt very in my flow state when i was playing soccer and i just i want that for every kid um i don't want them to step on the field and be afraid of not taking risk or making a mistake not being able to be creative like i i want them to to feel that flow state where they they don't judge themselves and they they just play and they're in the zone and they're in the present moment and um, it, it absolutely goes into life beyond sport. Like, are they able to um, st- study for the MCAT without being scared or apply to medical school? Or maybe they're a CEO of a company and they're presenting to their company. Are they nervous for it? Are they going into it with full confidence? So just teaching them lessons that, that they get through sport, um, just plunging into fear, taking risk, not being afraid of making mistakes, being confident. So that's that's why I, I preach that so much. And I just, I, I want all young athletes to fully express themselves and um, to, to not just be uh, defined by the accolades they get. Um, you know, I, I kind of got caught up in that um, when I was in college, but then I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, this is not why I've enjoyed soccer for so long. I've enjoyed it because I love taking on defenders. I love um, creating 1v1 moves. I love like twirling around defenders and out of pressure. Like that was like when I had the most fun. Um, so I just want to continue to teach that lesson of, of creative expression and joy. And I think it's a vastly important thing as well for coaches to have that motivation because we know from got a lot of studies that kids would far prefer to be on a losing team where they played you know half a game or a full game rather than be on a, on a winning team and they didn't get a second of game time so um really admire that I think it's a an, a very important quality in in a coach and I think something that I've learned over the past couple of years something I would always say to um the kids that I'm coaching is I don't really believe in mistakes um that yes maybe you know you didn't pass the ball well or you missed a shot or whatever it might be but maybe it's because you know you're working on some other feedback that I gave you during the week and that that skill was just put off a little bit so um I, re- I really like that I think you know don't be afraid to make, make mistakes and we know that the skills that kids learn in sport definitely transfers over into into their normal life so um yeah I really admire everything you're saying there it's 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 very important for those who are involved in new sports to to have I think yeah and um i i would say like i i'm also biased because i so i've never worked with professional athletes so the kids that i'm working with they're they're like lowest level recreational um they're elite travel so they're like on all different ends of the spectrum um uh, but the the common theme i've seen with with the kids i work with is they like truly love the game. They love working out. They love taking care of themselves. And like, even now, like during uh, COVID-19, I'm just seeing just the human component of all this. And like, what, what are we doing to take care of ourselves? Are we moving? Are we working on our strength? Are we nourishing our bodies? Are we trying to boost our immunity as much as possible? And are we really taking control of our lives? 
because right now COVID-19, like, I, I don't know if there's going to be a deadlier virus down the road, but like, what are we doing now to control what we can control? And I think that's just, that's just an important message is just like being the most adaptable human you can be and being the strongest human you can be on and off the field. Yes, that's excellent points. Excellent points. Um, so we're going to go and try to deal with the, the big issue that's in female sport, obviously, and around ACL and that kind of injury reduction stuff. And question for both of you, but I might come to you yourself, Evie, first. Um, obviously, I sat in on, on your seminar over the weekend, I think part one of a, a four-part series on that kind of return to play. And you spoke about um, sort of the actual mechanics of what happens in the, the steps before an ACL injury, what actually happens. Um, when, when someone does rupture or injure that ACL. So um, I know you spoke a lot about sort of the acceleration, deceleration, all those kind of mechanics that you would teach in your training. So maybe just chat through any strategy, strategies you have to help reduce the risk of, of that kind of injury. Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's back to the basics, right? And it's uh, being able to really develop that coaching eye that, I mean, there's not a lot of technology that can, that can, uh, be better than the coaching i think it's um constantly assessing movement the warm-ups warm is a great assessment tool right and it's uh easy and and it, you can check for like if, if a player is happier than normal it's set it's just sad or it's moving terribly and they're not only moves well uh, if they're doing a world's greatest stretch if they cannot like extend that back leg but they normally do extend that back leg normally. So it's there, a tightness there. So um, I, I think a lot of the things that I see is mostly kids just, they sprint, but they don't know how to decelerate. And I think deceleration is, is so big. Um, and I think we've talked this about uh, in the seminar, but like it's when you decelerate and people just focus on the knee valgus, right? And it's like, okay, that's way more than, than that. And what is the trunk control? Is what is the the foot? Um and a lot of the times you see like excessive pronation uh and kids not a being able to control um that movement and then of course the knee comes knee is gonna come in uh in in result from the foot. Um so have like an, a kind of a holistic way to see things and and understanding that I mean, when I coach the youth, like even now a pro, like some sometimes players come in with some shoes in the gym. I'm like, okay, let's do left barefoot because this this specific shoe that you're wearing, it's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> it's just like the and it, it it makes a difference. Like when you're doing like a single leg stuff with a, a shoe that has like huge heels, like you're not really feeling the ground and you're not being really able to control that uh and win that tug of war between pronation and supination it's like you need those right but it's this excessive uh, um pronation or excessive supination that can cause problems so uh we try to assess that day one in our assessments uh in our unilateral hop we we film from front side back uh triple hop now you're adding more speed to it and it's more complex and you're going to see even more compensation uh gate like we literally filmed their gate in four miles an hour five miles an hour and then eight miles an hour what is the difference of the gate what are the compensatory patterns once they go into more speed and then you can 
like I we're talking with Erica, like I like the, the the puzzle, right? Like you have all those pieces, and how you get that puzzle together, and it's it's just the the most exciting part of being a coach is how okay, uh, you talk about ACL, but are you covering the basics? Are you being able to you know measure their hip external rotation, hip internal rotation, hip ankle mobility? Um, what is that affecting their max speed mechanics? Uh, how is that affecting their uh, deceleration mechanics, right? So if you can't um, try to work on that and build like a, a robust athlete that is able to handle those, and, and again, we always say at, at the professional level, especially, you don't want to change their their the way they move. Like they've been, I mean, if they're compensated, they've been compensated forever, right? But it's how can you create that robustness that they can compensate without problems, without causing chronic issues. Uh, so in the gym, like being strong and being able to control, it's not just going uh, up and down, up and down and not being able to feel positions. And, and I think Erica said that being able to breathe in positions and, and own those positions is really important. So that that's all like for me, it's ACL, you know, provincial, whatever we might call is just being able to own the positions and control. And I mean, exercise selection in the gym Normally what I do is like, how can you, because we, we have really limited time with our players, right? And we have to find ways that our exercise selection is going to really challenge the stability, especially, right? So instead of me doing like a, um, a dumbbell row where they just hold in their bench, I normally do like a bird dog row to uh, really challenge their stability. Or I do a single leg RDL doing a row, holding that single leg RDL position. So um, another one that I, I love to do is um, stability chop and stability, stability lift. Uh, a lot of motor control on that because if you do it in a split squat position, so you go get that cable and you do a, a, a chop and then you tell the player, okay, can you hold that position for me? And then I take the resistance off. So taking that resistance off is like a sensory way for them to really know if they're actually holding the positions or they're just doing the movement with the arms. Um, so kind of challenging that and, and exercise selection being a big uh, way to microdose good things that it's going to affect them in the long run. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a holistic way of, of seeing things. And I think that's really important. Yeah. I'm, um, it, it, it comes back to just building the most robust athlete as possible. And it, it doesn't need to be anything too complicated. Um, I always say, uh, attack all muscle groups in the gym. And like Ivy said, microdose if you need to, if maybe an athlete is doing more hip internal rotation or needs more ankle mobility work, just add it into their movement prep or like they just get their five minutes early and do it. Um, but overall, just working on all the muscles that are involved in things like accelerating, cutting, changing direction. Um, I know a lot of people tend to focus on like knee valgus and, and preventing that at all costs um, or, you know, athletes are too quad dominant, but we're, we still have to strengthen the quads because they, they play a role in, in the deceleration, but we want to make sure that they're co-contracting all those muscles when they're decelerating, changing direction. So hamstrings, quads, um, feet and ankle, um, glutes, so it's just, again, just developing the total athlete. Um, I think uh, posture is huge. So just coming back to being able to stabilize the core. So do a lot of plank variations, um, crawling variations, um, even just 
like getting a, a good solid pull up. Um, that is probably one of the toughest core exercises you can do, but it's also helping with posture. Um, we do a lot, a lot of hangs um, with arms extended overhead, working on the shoulder girdle, girdle. So a lot of hangs help with posture and making sure they don't have like the, the classic slouch shoulders, uh, soccer look, um, and they're, they're able to open up their chest. So um, the research behind that is if they're slouching, um, the stress response in the body is going to be greater, going to cause more fatigue. So I've just been trying to do more research on posture and how it affects the nervous system. Um, but yeah, really just uh, developing the whole athlete and, and looking beyond physical training. So I've seen and I've made mistakes like we've chased strength, like a lot of strength early in my career before movement quality. Um, or we didn't pay enough attention to load monitoring, or I didn't communicate with college, college coaches enough, and I've seen catastrophes happen, and I was like, wait a minute, like, that girl was, was deadlifting the most, or she was split squatting the most, what was going on there? Oh, wait a minute, like, her, her sleep wasn't good, um, her coach had them do, you know, a three-mile run, and then the man you test all in one day, and then she, she hurt her knee, so, it, there's just so many factors that go that go into injury and just ensuring that we're aware of all of them. I think if we're not, we're not load monitoring, if youth coaches aren't load monitoring, we are like just being disintegrous. <laughs> like it is, it is like really catastrophic if no one's doing that. Um, and it's not happening as much in the States with clubs as I want it to. Um, but part of that is just continuing um, to educate um, and to ensure coaches understand the load needs to be in constant oscillation. We have to constantly ask our athletes how they're feeling, how they're sleeping, um, what's going on in school, and like really understand what's what's going on in their lives. Um, it's I don't care how strong an athlete is if they're getting two hours of sleep, <laughs> they're not eating breakfast and they can't sustain and, and have the energy in the second half, then could be a recipe for disaster. So um, strength matters, total body strength matters, but the other pieces matter just as much. Yeah, I think you, you almost have to be aware that, you know, although you might have strength conditioning on, on your job title, that there's also elements of that nutrition of the sports psychology of whatever it might be, might be that um, I think there's definitely um, a need for strength coaches or sports coaches to have some sort of education around that. Um, because if not, like, like you say, you'll have kids who are putting themselves in danger then. And especially we know it's uh, an issue with, um, with female athletes around with female athlete triad or, or the red S syndrome. So um, massively important then for for coaches that you have that, that duty of care to make sure that you're not looking, not just looking after the player, but you're also looking after the person as well. Mm -hmm. And I, I forgot to mention even just the, the menstrual cycle starting for some of these girls when they're 12, 13 years old, that's, that's something a, a lot of coaches tend to shy away from. Um, and I understand um, a lot, a lot of male coaches might, they might feel uncomfortable or, you know, they just aren't educated yet on it. Um, but it's, it's, extremely important as far as what's going on physically in their bodies um, and even just their fatigue. I mean, when their cycle starts at that age, it's like a very stressful thing. <laughs> and, and that alone can really impact 
how a player is showing up at practice when when it does start. I actually had a girl, she just started her cycle last week for first time ever, 12, 12 and a half years old. And her mom called me and was like, hey, sorry to bother you. And I was like, no, like, thank you for telling me like, th this is a big deal. Like there's probably a lot going on and like emotionally for her right now. And like, I'm just glad that, that you made me aware. Like I absolutely like can tweak the session. Like, um, and the mom was like, should she still come? And I was like, absolutely. Like, we'll take care of her. And just, um, just really understanding that that's, that that's a big deal. And, and training does have to be tweaked for females in that sense. Um, whether it's, cutting back on volume or maybe it's not cutting back on volume and maybe it's just optimizing their recovery and, and just educating on what, what they can eat or um, what can help them with their energy levels. And how would you sort of help maybe your athletes be more comfortable speaking to you about that or, or do you primarily get calls from parents who are letting you know or have you you know put in strategies in place that have helped your athletes be more comfortable chatting about that? You know, I think it's, um, it just comes back to just developing trust over the year. So, um, and just letting the parents know that there's, there's a lot going on during this age and just th that, that I understand and I'm willing to, to talk about it and, and listen. Um, so yeah, I think it's just having that trust with the players. They're usually not afraid to say, um, you know, they, they had a rough day at school or, um, they might be in a fight with a friend or, or whatever it may be that's going on in their life. So that's, that's why it's so important as coaches, um, just beyond the, the X's and O's and the exercise science, like that stuff's all cool and all. Um, but the, the relationships and just building trust with your players is, is the most important for me. Brilliant. It's good to hear. And I think again, you know, that's, that's vital for, for youth coaches to have that kind of um, motivation as well. So it's great to hear. Um, so my final question then for we hand over to Ross. So we know, I guess, um, SNC is pretty much dominated by kind of white males. You see a lot of white males who are in the, the more, you know, full-time professional positions. No offense, Ross, now. Um, but that, I think a, a question kind of gets asked a lot, I, I find, to female coaches is, you know, what advice would you have for female coaches who are looking to make their way? And I kind of wanted to flip it on its head a little bit and say, you know, we know that that companies, that people in charge will hire people who look like them. So because it's dominated by, you know, white straight males, they will hire white straight males because, you know, they, people hire people who look like them. So would you have any advice, um, either Erica or Evie, whoever wants to, to take it on, you know, organizations not only being open to looking at applications, but uh, from female SNCs, but actively encouraging female SNCs or sports scientists, whatever it might be, to apply for jobs? Yeah, um, well, I think, I remember this, is, I'm never going to forget this moment. Uh, when I was, uh, during my first month at my last job as a director of sports performance, I was um, hiring coaches for, for the position uh, to build my team. So, um, and my general manager uh, is, a, is a guy, so, um, we would always sit down. I'd sit, sit in my office here, and then my general manager uh, next to it, and um, and then the the person, the, the applicant, will will sit in front of me and kind of sideways, right, went to my general manager. I had so many male coaches that would not look it into my eyes, and what he would be working for me, and I didn't like, you know, and would not look into my eyes and not ask questions. 
for me. There's one applicant that I can't, I'm never going to forget this. He, um, he, we were talking, he never looked at me. My general manager got a call during the interview that was like one of the stuff that we need to get done in the facility. He was like, excuse me, I'm, I'm going to have to answer that call. So my general manager left. This guy, first thing he comes, like, so how did you get this job? That's the first thing that he, he said. So never going to forget that. Um, I think that um, from that, I think a lot of the times we, um, we need to change a little bit of the, we can't see that, that, that thought of like, okay, uh, female coaches and uh, they're never going to have, you know, the, the, the quality and all that stuff. I think we need to stop there and say, okay, how can we be better coaches? And then when you say coaches, let's, let's talk about good coaches, right? Uh, if it's female or male, good coach, what is a good coach? Or uh, how can, I think the biggest thing is, there's a lot of ego in our industry. And that's, I mean, that's apparent, like it's so easy to see. Um, I think a lot of the times it's, it's uh, male coaches, I think they just need to be a little bit uh, more prone to listen to us and let us do our job. I think there's, I, I've, I've, I've dealt with that a lot in terms of like, maybe they, they don't know how good I am until they actually uh, let me do my job and not interrupt me if I'm trying to say something. It's like, oh, by the way, that's how I do. I'm like, can I say, how can I do and let me do the job? Um, so I think that that starts with just listening and just being humble enough to, to, you know, to let coaches do their job. And I think the other thing is uh, female empowerment. I think that's big for me. I think a lot of uh, the female coaches that I talk to, they're just starting in the industry. They just don't have the confidence. And I was like that too. And it's how can you develop that confidence and put your foot down and say, I know what I'm doing and I know I'm good at my job and kind of, you know, don't be, uh, I'm afraid because the reality is if when you're a female and you try to tell people what to do, you're a bitch. Sorry, my language, but that's what it is. But if a male is trying to be really strict with something, it's just how they, oh, they're really good at their job. They really, you know, so I think that's, kind of start with us uh, as female coaches being like, putting the foot down and say, I know what I'm doing. I'm confident in empowering other coaches that might not have the same confidence. I mean, I have, I've talked to so many young coaches this past 10 days. That's the biggest thing that they say is like, I'm just not confident enough. And, and, and I think that it's a, it's a two kind of two way thing. It's like, okay, how can you develop that confidence and, 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 and be better and, and be the best, coach that you can be so people see that you're worth but also uh male coaches being able to learn and teach uh, learn and 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 uh, listen and let us do our thing and at least give us a chance to to show that we we know what we're doing uh, so that's my take on it <laughs> sorry long answer no it's good because i think um like we said like half the issue is that you might not get your foot in the door just you know by by the name on a cv but another part is absolutely it is that you know females are less likely to put their hand up and i really relate to that whole thing of uh you know someone not looking you you in the eye or you know I'm, i might be the head coach of a team of a boys team or a men's team and a referee or uh, the, the manager of the other team might go straight over to my assistant coach who happens to be a male and 
just just small things you they kind of know you a little bit but you you can i think you can i can understand what you're saying though that uh, you know we also have to put our hands up and i think it's a, a very important lesson i think it's you know for me personally it's just sort of saying you know like it doesn't matter sure fuck it like just go for it um if you make a mistake you make a mistake you learn from it everyone does the same you know yeah i think it's uh it becomes about just building the confidence and that that only comes by just doing it and getting getting your feet wet and i I'm having flashbacks to when I interned um, at a division one school when I first started and it was like an all male staff and they were just like very hard on the interns and like we had to teach the Olympic lifts in front of the whole staff and they just like tore us up like um, especially me I just like bombed it like Olympic lifts not my strong suit but <laughs> it was definitely it was a learning lesson and I had to I had to fail in in order to get better and I, I look back and, and there's so many things that I've like cued my athletes where I was like what the heck was I saying and it's just you just have to go through the experience and, and working with all different types of athletes all ages uh, male female uh, professionals kids whoever um, did personal training for a while so it's just getting the experience and then you eventually get the confidence and, and you just, you just keep improving. Um, and I, I just encourage all women to just kind of change the mindset. Um, a lot of them kind of go into it kind of like a fixed, like victim mindset, like, Oh, well, all these men have jobs and like, that's the problem right there. Um, so I'd rather them, do what they can control, get the experience. Like if you said, focus on being a better coach, w work on your skills, um, whether it, maybe you need to teach speed better, do a speed course or get a mentor. Like mentorship has helped so much. Um, and just collaborating with other women and cheering them on. I know I, I asked Ivy and, and other women in the industry for advice, uh, whether it's for coaching or for mental health and just, having that community of other women who want to get better and who are growing and have that mindset helps so much. Um, and they become not just colleagues, but friends who like really support your journey and um, keep you focused when you have breakdowns or you have blind spots and you feel like you're messing up all the time, but it's good to just kind of confirm with them. Okay. I'm not going crazy right now. <laughs> like everything's good. Um, and I, I always come back to my mantra and do this with my, my young girls, but this has never failed me and it's work hard, be kind. Um, we have it on our training shirts and it's, yeah, it's, it's never, ever failed me. Work hard, work on your skills, connect with other people and just be of service to others. Like we're, we're we are in the service industry. Um, so focus on serving your players and, and getting them better. And you're, go you're going to be a good coach um, if you care about them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, girl power is great as well. Like, you know, surround yourself with, with people you can learn from. And um, especially if you're a female coach, it's great to have, um, well, you know, one or if not a few of your mentors to be um, female coaches as well. You, you can learn a lot from them too. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks, Quiva. I can take myself off mute now, girls. Yeah, is that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying this. I just get to sit back and listen to conversation, so it's perfect. It's a new role for me, I think, in future episodes. Um, it's a rest assured. You two are flying the flag for for the for the female coaches in there and doing great jobs. And as Evie said, it's about 
the best person for the job, I think. And having this industry creating an open mindset, a growth mindset, hopefully we're going to start to see some change across all areas of diversity and, and, and equality. So thank you very much for that. I just want to bring a couple more questions because I know Evie, I know you, you're the busiest, busiest woman in, in the world at the minute. You're running around and I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, let's just draw it back to the mental health stuff because I know it's really big and important for, for you girls. Um, Evie, let's start with you. What, what should be happening to, for support for players and staff, as you mentioned, that maybe isn't happening? Because um, we're probably having to take on strategies for ourselves to, to manage it. But what should be out there and what processes should be available to us, do you think, as an industry? Yeah, I think, uh, I think COVID-19 has really helped us to kind of learn new resources and new tools. I think... For us, the biggest thing that it really helped our team during the tough, tough time that we've all, all been through, um, it's mindfulness and, and breathing. I think that was like, even when people are close-minded to try it out, we're like, okay, can you just, please just try it. And, and, and even like the, 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 the people that are just really hype and all the time and really hyper and they, they loved just, just five minutes, 10 minutes of your time to literally get your phone away, take your phone away, just breathe, just focus on your breathing. And I've been doing that a lot uh, myself. I do three times a day uh, and it's been like helping me tremendously. And there's so many good resources there in terms of breathing techniques and different breathing patterns that you can try to uh, help you with different, different ways. Like you can do a pre-workout breathing technique. You can do uh, a, a pre-nap breathing technique, mindfulness technique, uh, uh, before bed. Uh, so, and I think that's because, to be honest, the social media world is sometimes eat us alive. I think I myself included, like I, it's it's just okay. My screen time, like nine hours a day, I need to stop like using my phone. It's just like, and it, there's so much like coming with that like there's a pressure from our world like twitter cruel world twitter is oh my gosh there's so many so it's like and there's a lot into that and the same thing with players like especially with uh with players they're all like being judged and what they do and what they don't do and all that uh so taking that time to really reflect on yourself and say okay can i take 10 15 minutes of my day to take my phone away and I just breathe in and, and breathe out. That's all, all, all it takes. And, and kind of um, being, you know, uh, the mindfulness, I like it because it's like the present, right? I think the anxiety comes with the unknown, the what, 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 what's going to happen right now. I mean, everybody's going crazy right now because we, don't, we never know what, when this is all going to be gone, when things are going to go back to the new normal. So that brings anxiety because that's something we can't control. So being able to be present where we are right now, control what we can control. I know it's everybody's talked about that, and it, but it's it's true. Like it's how can you get those tools and resources to really work on the the, the present? And and I think that will get the anxiety out of the window. I mean, it's for me, it's it's just the unknown that that brings anxiety. So breathing techniques and mindfulness has been top priority for me. And it's kind of, I mean, during COVID. I don't know if you guys saw like our our Zoom workouts are crazy. Like I started doing like seventies theme workouts and and kind of like getting them to really express themselves and 
and being able to get out of that uh, neg negativity, which news all the time. Don't watch the news. I mean, especially now, it, you just gotta watch at least once a week. I, I think now it's good for me. But before I used to go on the news every morning, I'm like, oh, that's just not healthy. So those little things and, and then tell players and educate players on how that can affect your, their lifestyle, uh, how can can affect their health and mental health. So I think that's really important and it's been really big for me as a, as a coach and dealing with my mental breakdown. Thanks, Evie. And do you think there needs to be more education to sports scientists, SSC coaches, even technical coaches around dealing with players and even managing yourself at times? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think that that's something that we forget that even with our within our our coaching staff, like we need to have those tools ready for 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 coaches too, because I mean if you're not in good health yourself, players are gonna notice and you're not gonna be able to to be really do your job because you're you're just dragging yourself to to work because you're there's all those things like you know uh, mentally you're not you're not there so definitely I think that's uh, that's something that we need to take care uh, as coaches first so we can better, um, you know, give service to our players. So that's definitely important. For sure. Thanks. Erica, anything to add on, on that topic? Yeah. Um, I mean, Ivy, I remember talking to you last year. Um, we, we both kind of went through our breakdown at the same time. So that was, it was nice to, to have each other during that. But yeah, it's, um, I think a, a lot of us are just trying to like do more and work harder and like tweet more and like get out more content and just do more in general. And what I found last year in 2019 was just, I was just running myself into the ground. Like I didn't need to work that many hours. I didn't need to be on Twitter that much. Like I didn't need to do all these things. Um, so I think the, the lockdown this year just kind of exposed the the toxic things in my life that I just needed to get rid of altogether. Um, so so less screen time, um, changing my nutrition, getting more meditation, um, even just like certain like friendships I had that I felt were depleting my energy. And and I hate to say it, it's like you you're friends with people for so long, but you don't realize that it's like, it's holding you back, um, whether, you know, they're, they're energy vam vampires or they're negative. So it's like all these things you like take a pause for a second and you're like, wait a minute. Like I was like going, 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 but I didn't even realize like this piece of my life was like really messed up and like really holding me back. Um, so it just became more about just becoming a, a minimalist. <laughs> Um, and just get, getting rid of things, um, and just getting rid of the distractions. And if you mentioned social media and honestly, like as much as I'm on Twitter, I don't like social media. Like I actually like hate it. Um, but I think what keeps me going on there is I do want to share my message and my drills and my content and, um, help young athletes discover their strengths. Like the message will always be there, but like, if I, like could live without it like I'd be totally okay with it um so it's like it's just like this back and forth it's definitely a a love hate um but I'm I'm totally on board with just like less social media Medi meditating every day has become a non-negotiable I used to just kind of tiptoe around it and be like oh I'll, I'll get it in or I'll do it once a week but it's 
it's something you have to commit to like, like everything in life. Like you're not going to get better at, at meditating and calming your nervous system. If you just kind of like go in and out of it, like it needs to be a, a daily commitment. So I, I do it before I go to bed and then I, then I sleep better and then I wake up way more refreshed. Um, so adding that in has been huge. Um, so just, it, it comes back to just taking inventory of all the categories. Um, so every Sunday I, I rank everything and I'm extremely strict with myself. Um, and I, and I tell my athletes to be strict with themselves and, um, even just look at the categories. Okay. Well, is this category depleting your energy or is it uplifting it? And if more are depleting than uplifting, then you need to dive down that and you need to make a change as soon as possible. Um, so that's been a huge help for the kids just to become more self-aware. And it's just something that I try to keep up with and just check, check in with myself. So um, I think the, the mental health is, it's, it's so important. I mean, we, we preach recovery and all that to our athletes, but what, meanwhile, us coaches are running ourselves into the ground. Like that's extremely backwards. And I was like, shoot, I'm actually not practicing what I preach. Like, this is not good. Um, so just becoming aware of that and, and just, just being hard on myself, um, in that regard. Thank you very much. I think it's really refreshing for, for to hear from both of you this whole holistic training approach that you take. And like you said, Erica, it's not about the X's and O's of physiology and biomechanics. It's about the emotional side. It's about relationships. And that's what's going to drive performance, but also development in, in the youth side. Um, one last thing for me, ladies, because I, I know I've kept you for so long and you've given so much good advice to our listeners already. I want to delve into a little bit more about you guys, um, guys in inverted commas, but about you two what's next for you or not next but what's the end game and where do you see yourself long term something that doesn't get um doesn't get answered very often and it's quite a reflective thing so maybe we'll start with you erica where do you see yourself and where, where do you want to go long term yeah it's it's this is such a great question and i was talking to another coach about it and we we were kind of like just kind of like making fun of it because we're like wait like is there is there an end goal um and you know it could be different for everyone um but personally um you know i don't desire to coach pro or d1 or whatever like i'm i've gotten to the point and, I, and i'm lucky to say this and grateful but i just i'm really content with what i'm doing i think um more of the question is like what's what's your message how are you continuing to refine it and um the message has always been to empower young female athletes discover their strengths be creative express themselves so like that's something i want to just like keep building um i don't know how it's gonna look um <laughs> whether it's i just work with more girls or just keep writing articles and, and sharing the message i i don't know i'm just trying to just take it one day at a time, especially now, like I don't know what, what's going to happen in the world. So just coming back to doing what I can control and what I enjoy about this game and what I enjoy about coaching and what I want for the next generation of girls and how I want them to grow into women. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't really have anywhere I desire to go. <laughs> um, so I guess stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Um, <laughs> Evie, you, could, you can top that, maybe. 
Yeah, so I, I think for me it's just like I need to um, stay grounded a little bit more in terms of uh, really focus on what I can control right now and, and, and be there for my players and offer all kinds of resources that they need, especially during this time. I think, I, like Erica said, it's kind of like I feel like they're their mom a little bit and I, I kind of take it personally everything they're feeling I'm like how can I help and how can I make you better and um, I develop a, a really big passion now to really uh, educate coaches so like I'm doing more workshops and I'm doing more mentorships and I really that's something that I always wanted to explore more uh, just to share my experiences and share my perspectives not that it's the the the, the right or wrong and, and the only way but it's I think I've seen that it's it helped a lot of young coaches to kind of um, go through the, this thing and understand that somebody went through it and 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 you know was able to to get out of it. So definitely, I think that's something that I I want to kind of do hand in hand with coaching and and continue developing not only players and and, and young players but also coaches and, and young coaches and, and empowered each other. I think that's something that's been really uh, bringing a lot of motivation for me especially during this time perfect ladies thank you so much for your time today i know you're, you're super busy women and super busy coaches in the trenches as you say um thank you very much i'm sure the listeners are going to get so much from this um Quiva, a, a fantastic episode there huh? yeah and i i know you guys are speaking of uh not being major fans of, of social media but you know i personally love everything you guys are putting up so uh <laughs> hopefully that doesn't go away too soon <laughs> No, thank yes, you. Yes, no. We'll, me and Erica, me and Erica, will keep we'll keep putting the content that, that they want, right? <laughs> we, we, keep, we keep going, Ivy, and we just ignore the hate. <laughs> yeah, ignore the hate, and we focus on our meditation breathing, and then we'll yeah, do it. Yeah, if there if there's hate, I have no time for you. Open discussion, yes, but hate, no, no time. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, thank for you. sure. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think there should be too much of that for you for your girls' work. So credit to both of you. Um, but thank you very much. Just for the listeners as well, please head over to www.dealysportscience.com and have a look at all the, the services we got on offer over there. And massive thank you to our sponsors, um, www.ripped.app and you can have a look at the services they can give as well. Ladies, thank you very much. Um, it's evening time here, so we'll be going to bed soon, but in, enjoy the rest of your day. Um, and, and we'll Thanks so much, guys. I'm going to catch up thank soon. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. It was a pleasure.